Hi, and welcome to season one of the Mental Fitness Podcast with me, Anthony Taylor. This is the podcast where we look at what it takes to be mentally fit. That intersection between mental toughness, emotional intelligence, and good mental health. We interview some of the best people from the sporting, business, and psychological worlds to bring you the stories and suggestions on how to build your mental fitness. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week. You know, who does the first marathon at Mount Everest? Bonkers people, but it, it was it was that self-belief and why not? Let's get out there and do one of the toughest marathons in the world. Let's follow it up with the North Pole Marathon. Why not? It excited me. It was a big dream of mine and it, it excited other people. And, and yeah, again, back of the pack, doesn't matter. Get out there and doing it. So it is about self-awareness, but I think we, we need to maybe help people sometimes to be aware of what they are capable of and help them along the way there by, by, by like I said, developing that self-belief and that confidence. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in having cheerleaders. You know, people all need a cheerleader, don't they, back around them. And, and my, my cheerleaders, if you like, are the kids at school. So if you like what you hear over the rest of this episode, then please join the conversation with me on Instagram at anttaylor72 or on LinkedIn where you can find me under Anthony Taylor Mental Fitness. And please subscribe. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. My guest this week is um, quite, I'm super excited to have this conversation with guest today. Been really looking forward to it. Not least in the fact that it turns out we were actually briefly in school together many, many years ago. Um, and didn't quite realise that until we had a, a bit of a preliminary chat. Um, and I know when I read out what this person's done, he's going to feel a little bit embarrassed because it's not why he does what he does. But let me just introduce you to him. So this person has been a Pride of Oldham winner, not once, but twice. He's won the National Teaching Award uh, in 2006. He is an ambassador for the Teaching Agency, an ambassador for the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, uh, the National Adventure Award winner in 2016, the National Happiness Award winner, Happiest School Person 2018, the Manchester Evening News Inspirational Teacher of the Year Award winner in 2019. He got an MBE from the Queen for services to education and charity in 2015. And if that wasn't enough, just listen to some of this. In 2009, he climbed at Mount Kilimanjaro. In 2010, he followed that up with Mont Blanc, in Mont Blanc. In 2011, I think he got a bit cold, so he warmed himself up with a 200-mile trek through the Sahara Desert. Then he went back to some mountains, climbing Mount Elbrus in Russia in 2012. Uh, he completed, in 2013, an expedition through the Arctic wilderness with Huskies. Then went to the jungles of Borneo in the same year. In 2014, he trekked to Everest Base Camp before completing in the Tenzing Hillary Mount Everest Marathon. If that wasn't enough, in 2015, he completed the North Pole Marathon, and then to warm himself up, went out to the Petra Desert, to the Desert Mountain Marathon in 2016. In 2017, he did the Amazon Jungle Ultra Marathon, 230 kilometers, self-supported race through the Amazon jungle. Obviously got a bit warm there because in 2018, he went and completed in the Arctic Ice Ultra, another 230 kilometer self-supported race through the Arctic wilderness. And his warm down was the London Marathon in 2018, followed by the Uganda Marathon. And then in 2021, he's doing the Great Norse Run, 10 marathons in 10 days, running the length of Iceland. Whew, I'm exhausted just reading that. Steve Hill, MBE, 
welcome. How does that make you feel? Um, tired. Yeah, was that me? Um, yeah, who did that? That seems a, a lot of things, but uh, yeah, looking back, it's been a, a, a busy few years for sure. It has indeed. It has indeed. So, Steve, I'm going to start off with the question I'm asking all my guests in this first season, which is, what does mental toughness mean to you? Uh, mental toughness. Toughness. I think we've all got mental toughness. So I think it's um, it's often coming out of your comfort zone and it's being able to to deal with setbacks, um, deal with tricky, difficult situations, and having that uh, mental resilience, if you like, to be able to cope, um, come up with strategies, and keep moving forward. You know, I, I, I've got a mantra: you know, left foot, right foot, repeat. No matter how difficult situations get in life, we're all going to encounter setbacks. That we, we we keep moving forward. You know, we, we learn to cope with that setback. We accept it. We take responsibility for it. Um, and as I say, keep going towards our, our goal. Um, so, yeah, it's being able to, 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 to deal with that setback. And, you know, it's something I'm trying to still in the children at school that, you know, you are going to experience um, failures, if you like, setbacks, disappointments in life. And that's natural. So, as I say, it's just having those that ability, that mental ability to deal with it and to adjust and to come up with solutions and move forward. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a good thing. I think, you know, a lot of these challenges you just mentioned there, it's... it's took me some dark places sometimes and I've needed that that mental resilience that that, that real strong mindset to, to keep me going um, and I think we've all got it I think it's all in there it's just about tapping into it so where did where did this come from where did this passion for for doing these absolutely unbelievable things come from when did that start I mean it started in 2009 from the list you said there but I've always enjoyed the outdoors I've already enjoyed adventure as a child I was in the you know the cubs the scouts the army cadets and then started playing rugby um, and that was you know took a lot of my time but my big passion through my teenage years, um, right up until about 30. Played to a decent level and, you know, you alluded earlier to, to Barry McDermott, um, someone we went to school with and, and played with Barry till we were 19. And I finished playing rugby at about 30 and being a, a school teacher, I was conscious that within the classroom, I was I was spouting out a lot of these quotes, um, you know, get out of your comfort zone, go and challenge yourself, be the best you can be. And I believe in those quotes, but I thought, well, I might actually do this myself. Um, and as I said, I enjoy ch- uh, challenges, I enjoy adventure. So I thought, right, get myself out there. Let's practice what I preach. Let's show myself. Let's, you know, get out and have these adventures and, and show myself what I'm capable of. But again, these these young minds that have got the great privilege of teaching, let's show them what's possible out there. And I, you know, I have a good, um, as I said, mantra of through self-belief, through hard work and determination and never giving up when things get tough, anything in life is possible. We saw Kim saying that, let's get out and show them. So we started in 2009, um, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and that was well out of my comfort zone. I'd done nothing like that before in my life. Indian's head and, and Snowden, exam, you know, for example, you know, prior to that. And yeah, I was apprehensive, I was nervous. Uh, I wasn't sure whether they could you know, accomplish, you know, get into a mountain at the high, that high altitude. Um, but I trained well. Uh, I had a good send-off from the children. Uh, we nominated a charity to raise some money for, which was the Christie. And off I went in the in the summer holidays, um, first time to Africa. And it was an amazing experience, a great adventure. And summit night was tough. It was really tough. And yeah, you talk about mental strength, uh, mental resilience. Uh, I had to dig deep. Um, high altitude, 5,895 metres, cold, seven hours or more. Um, just, again, putting that left foot in front of the right foot, moving up that mountain. Uh, but I got to the top. And at the top of that mountain, I got quite emotional when the guy turned around and said to me, Steve, you've conquered the mountain. And I choked up and I thought, what's happening to me? And it was an emotional moment. And there'd been a big build-up. I'd been apprehensive, been nervous. But I achieved that, that goal, you know, and I'd come well out of my comfort zone. I couldn't wait to get back to school to tell the children, share the adventure with them. Um, and as I say, it just came from there. I shared it with the children back at school. And the next thing they were saying, what's next, sir? 
And I hadn't thought of it. And I thought, yeah, what is next? Uh, where does it take me next? And it was onto Mont Blanc, a higher, well, not higher mountain, but a more technical mountain. And the adventures have gone from there. So every year um, I do a lot of research and I find adventures that I know will challenge me, take me well out of my comfort zone, take me to a remote part of the world that you know I wouldn't normally dream of visiting, but somewhere that I can take the children, if you like. you know, I can, I can share it with them beforehand, um, teach them about the, the country I'm visiting, uh, include them in the, in the training, the, the preparation. Um, that again, that self-belief, hard work, determination, never giving up when things get tough. Sir's going to go through it, but he's going to come through it, I'm going to come through, you know, through it the other end. Um, and off I go. And, you know, I get a great send off from the children, as I say. And as I said, each year I push the bounds a bit further. So it's gone from running my first marathon at Everest to the next marathon being at the North Pole to running them ultra marathons through the, the Amazon jungle and the Arctic. And I love it. And don't get me wrong, it is painful. You know, it takes a lot of investment uh, time-wise, training-wise, financially. Uh, but it's well worth it, you know, because it pushes me. It shows me what I'm capable of. And I know we're all capable of so much more than we even realise. But it allows me to inspire the children that I teach because I feel that from what I see in schools quite often, there's a lot of apathy, a lot of, you know, lack of inspiration, lack of aspiration amongst young children. That You know, there's nothing out there for me. And I'm hopefully showing them that, yeah, through self-belief, hard work, determination, never giving up when things get tough, anything's possible. And I want them to dream big. And if my challenges can enable these children to have big dreams and I talk about having big dreams and the excited that much, they actually frighten you because they're so big. And you've got to believe it yourself, but you can work there and achieve those dreams. You know, if certain work and climb silly mountains and run silly distances, then whatever your dream is in life, you can you can achieve that. So as I say, I'm not advocating that they all go running daft marathons through jungles, but that whatever their Everest is, whatever their dream is in life, they can achieve it, but they've got to believe in it themselves first of all. So it's a privilege to teach, but as I say, I hope I'm adding a little bit of an extra dimension to their education and planting a seed of adventure, that confidence that there's a big world out there, quite an explore it and and you know, make the most of your life because we only get one life, don't we? So that's, it's manifold, you know, it's a manifaceted. It's, it's me challenging myself. It is helping us to raise money for charity, but also inspiring this next generation, hopefully, to, to get out and follow the dreams. I think it's fantastic, isn't it? We know we've all, you know, say we all, I know I grew up, my dad was in mountain rescue and mountaineering and, you know, you grew, grew up reading about these adventures of daring do and, and all the rest of it. I think it's brilliant that there are still modern day people, people like you that are doing that and inspiring these children to do that. Stevie talked about some dark, dark times, um, dark days. What have been, what's been your toughest of all the challenges overall? Which ones did you find the toughest? Yeah, I mean, they've all the moments where they were, they were tough, without a doubt. Whether you're at altitude on a mountain and, and you, you know, you're struggling to breathe, but you're getting about 50% of the oxygen and, you, you, you know, you're going up a mountain during the night. It, it's difficult, but you, you keep pushing forward. And I think, you know, the darkest moment, you like, my lowest point uh, was in the Amazon jungle. So I'd, I'd, I'd run, as I said, my first marathon at Everest, which was fantastic, great adventure, you know, trekking through the the, the Nepalese, the Himalayan villages and, and getting to base camp. And like you said, there, as, as a kid, I read books on Everest. You know, one of my big dreams is to climb Everest one day, and I hope that will, will happen. Hope to, you know, make that happen one day. Uh, running the Mount Everest Marathon was the next best thing, and it, and it was amazing as a semi first marathon. And once again, there's the knockers in life. Oh, you're running your first marathon at Everest. You're stupid, you're daft, you're never going to be able to do it. And that's another message I give to the children. You don't listen to the doubters, you don't listen to the knockers. If you believe it, you won't do it. Um, so the Amazon jungle was, you know, after doing the North Pole and the kids saying, you sir, you've proved you can do a, a marathon at these extreme locations. You know, what's next? I thought, well, yeah, let, let's let's up the ante a little bit. And, and, and I came across this, this, this event, uh, six marathons in five days, 
through the Amazon jungle. Um, Self-supported, carrying all your food, all your water, anti-venom pump, your hammock, your sleeping bag, you name it, it's on your back. And I just thought, wow, to be self-sufficient in the Amazon jungle for five days, that's amazing. It's scary, but it's amazing. Um, so yeah, I booked it, stupidly maybe. Trained hard, involved the children, and off I went. And uh, yeah, I prepared really well. Uh, met some great people. And stage one, I'm on the start line with some of the best ultramarathon runners in the world. You know, little Steve Hill, primary school teacher from Shaw in Oldham, when it were great, they looked after me. But that's another message to the children. It doesn't matter. We're not comparing ourselves to other people. It's about you, that self-belief. I wasn't racing against those guys. I was just pushing myself, challenging myself to be the best I can be in that really, you know, harsh environment. Um, so day one was a marathon. Um, so ran the marathon, felt strong coming into camp at night. Often I was one of the back runners, you know, but I was getting there. Um, and you get your hammock up, you'd have a routine, you get into the, in, into the jungle, you get your, into your camp, obviously, you get your hammock up, you get your wet clothes off, get something dry on, um, get a little bit of food down you, a bit of gruel down, as it were, get to the toilet and get in your hammock and get two or three hours sleep if you're lucky. Um, and up again to go again in the morning. Uh, everything in reverse in the morning, hammock down, wet clothes back on, a bit of old porridge down you, uh, get to the start line and, and go for day two, um, which was invariably another marathon, apart from stage five, which was two marathons, but anyway. Um, and it was a start of stage two where um, I was tired, but I was feeling good. I was feeling strong. I was, I was excited about stage two, raring to go. And I put my hammock down, get everything back in my bag, got my wet clothes back on, ready to go. Picked up my, my trainers and found a big six-inch rip down the side of my, my left shoe, which I hadn't noticed the night before. I don't know how it happened. And I just sat there in total disbelief. And this was my, probably my lowest point on, on, my, on my challenges because you prepare well, you prepare for every eventuality, but you don't expect something like that to happen. So I sat there in disbelief, staring at this trainer and thinking, well, what can I do now? I'm in the middle of the Amazon jungle. I haven't got any spurs. And my trainer, my feet are going to be hanging out the side of this trainer. There's nothing I can do. And then for 30 seconds, sort of a minute, I, I thought, that's it, game over. There's no way I can continue. And I gave my head a bit of a wobble and I thought about the kids back at school and what they'd say. And it'd be, get on with it, sir. Anyway, I scrummaged around with some of the other competitors and they gave me some um, gaffer tape, little gaffer tape and a zip ties. And I got them around my trainers and gaffer tapes and zip tied them up and got to the start line and got stage two completed. And it got me through the race. Um, admittedly, minus seven toenails at the end of it. But it was a low point um, and, and blisters upon blisters. But I kept that trainer and I thought that trainer really is, is a message to anybody who has a setback in life. You know, we, we do prepare for every eventuality. We work hard for things. But things will, will have setbacks, you know, things will let us down from time to time, like the trainer did. And rather than sitting there, like I did initially, and feel sorry for yourself and blame the trainer, when those sort of situations arise in life, we've got to take responsibility. And it's our problem, it's our setback, take responsibility, we don't have to like it, but then look for solutions. So I always said to the kids, get the gaffer tape out, get the zip ties out, let's get it around the feet, and let's off we go again. So it got me to the finish line, as I say, minus seven toenails. Uh, which I do keep in a Ziploc bag in class. So we do pass them around class from time to time, which is a bit wrong, I know, but the kids tend to like it. Um, but it was a low point. And, and as I say, it would have been easy to quit at that point and say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the trainer's fault. There's been other times, you know, running through the Arctic and uh, being totally exhausted and imagining I've got wings. I thought I had wings at one point. I was hallucinating, I think. But again, it's just that pushing through, pushing on, positive thoughts, remembering why you're doing what you're doing, you're remembering your why. And just taking those little steps. And I'm a firm believer in sometimes in life, we need to take smaller steps. Slow down a little bit. Just take little little baby steps. Keep moving forward. You know, one step at a time, one mile at a time, one checkpoint at a time. Just keep moving forward. So I know it's a simple question going back. That was probably my lowest point with the, with the, the rip trainer. You talked about something there. You talked about your why. Um, 
I'm going to come on. I'd like to come on and ask you about that in a minute. But I know we've got a question that came in on LinkedIn from when I posted about this. Someone wanted to know, what was your scariest animal encounter out of all your... Yeah, I mean, the scariest one is probably what were in my mind because you think you're seeing, you know, snakes and so forth. You didn't see a lot of what wildlife, to be honest with you. Ants were the biggest thing. Ants everywhere. Every square centimetre of jungle floors covered with ants, and ants of every different species, leafcutter ants, uh, red ants, bullet ants. Amazing to watch, but if you stop for a drink, they're up your leg and they're biting you, and they weren't very pleasant. Um, so they were fine. I got to know them pretty well, the ants. Spiders during the day, butterflies, you know, the nice things. It was more at night. As I said, the faster runners would often finish in the evening. So they'd be getting in, in daylight. They'd get the best spots in camp. They might have a little bathe in the river, the river there. Slow Steve, I was way back in the back, maybe second last, third last and coming in at night. So I was running through the night quite often. But I saw it as, a, as, as an extra experience. You know, these faster runners were finishing in daylight. I was experiencing the jungle at night, out there on my own, head torch on, and everything that was around you. And I'm convinced that I could sense I was being tracked sometimes, that there, there's something following me. Can't be convinced, but I just think there, there, there was possibly a Jaguar or two just having a sniff and just following me. So, I'm, yeah, I think I could sense it. I could feel it. So there was that. And there was going through rivers up to your, your chest deep, going through rivers at night and just knowing that there was all sorts in there. Cayman, snakes, you know it, piranhas, but just having to push through. So just following a head torch across the river, knowing that anything could just pull you under any time, but just, just getting through there and getting through the other side because you had to do it. See, Cayman and snakes are bad enough. That that would you know, freak you a bit. Um, but it's, isn't there, isn't, what's the name of that little fish that, you know... Twilight Place, it shouldn't do. Yes, I'm, I'm, someone did mention that to me before I went, and yes, I tried to forget that one. But yes, there's a little, there is a little fish. So there's that as well. So yeah, I kept myself very covered. But it's the mind, isn't it? Like I say, it was going through. We was thinking, there's all sorts in here. Don't think about it. Push on, and th- there would have been. But as I say, just going through, you can imagine that the Amazon jungle, pitch darkness, the sounds at night because it comes alive at night. But just knowing, I'm just feeling that there was something following you. Quite excited, but uh, it didn't catch me. I love the way you framed that. You know, you talked about the faster runners got there in the evening and you could have seen it as, oh, I'm at night and it's more dangerous and I've got this and I'm not worried about that. But you didn't. You chose to reframe it as, but I got to experience the Amazon. And I think that to me alludes to that mental toughness that you clearly have and about how, you know, often we reframe, when we reframe adversity as an opportunity, it takes, makes things a lot easier, doesn't it? Just putting a positive slant on it, isn't it? Seeing what you can be gained from that, isn't it? And what you what you can learn from that, that what you perceive maybe as a negative situation. And I just thought, yeah, I, you're missing out on something that I'm getting here. It's great, you know. And I would stop and just take in my surroundings, think I'm in the Amazon jungle. You've got you, you've got to. Sometimes in life, I haven't just stop and take it in because we do rush around quite often. And you know, any of these challenges, I do make sure I stop and take a few photographs, but just appreciate where I am in life because I may never be in the Amazon jungle again, but. It's a privilege, you know, to be in the Amazon jungle or the Arctic in the middle of the night, in, in the middle of winter with the northern lights, you know, floating across the top of you. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, I often find the faster runners are just chasing the times, getting to that finish line, getting some sleep up again and, you know, being a primary school teacher at the back, you know, it's uh, enjoy the journey. And then people often say, you know, like, how do you do it? And I just think but my, my, my way of going about things is getting to the start line, making that decision to try to come out of your comfort zone, which is invariably often that, you know, our, our Stumbling point, isn't it? Not doing it in the first place, not making that decision, making that decision to go and do it, training hard to get to the start line injury free and then getting to the finish line, but enjoying the journey. Got to enjoy the journey, isn't it? It's not just having an eye on the finish line. Enjoy that, um, the experiences along the way. And I think that's something else you make a really good point there. So often we see people become obsessed about the outcome goal 
you know, I want to do this in a certain time or whatever. And actually what's really important in developing mental toughness, I was speaking to a World Cup running rugby player the other day about this. It's the process goals, isn't it? It's the small little things on the way. So, you know, it's fine. Set yourself the outcome goal and that's fine. But don't get hung up on it. Set yourself the small, as you said, one step in front of another until you get to that outcome goal. Yeah, absolutely. Because it will be a journey. It'll be a great journey and enjoy that journey. And once you get to that goal, then you're generally setting another goal, aren't you? So that's not the end of the road. It takes one word next time, I think. But again, enjoying that journey because the journeys have took me, you know, whether it's the training or they're taking the food into school to share with the children and taking the postcards and the letters they take for me, you know, to to take away with me. Uh, Actually getting to the the destination, you know, the journey, you know, the, the, the marathon itself or the marathon itself and then coming back and sharing that with other people and, you know, I've had the great privilege of being asked to go and do talks on, on my challenges and, you know, DAV awards and so forth. And that's something I never, ever envisaged doing, but to be able to share my adventure with other people and people coming saying, wow, you know, I'd want to do something similar. That's inspired me to go and do this. It's it, it's priceless. And, and it just makes it, again, also more worthwhile. Well, when I'm working with clients, we, we use a model of mental toughness called the four C's model. And there are four key elements to that. There's control, which is around life control and um, emotional control. There's commitment, which is around the stickability bit. We talk about goal setting. There's the challenge, which is the mindset, you know, getting out of your comfort zone that you're talking about, learning from your failures, you know, redoing your shoe up with duct tape and gaffer tape, whatever. And then there's the confidence in your abilities and your interpersonal confidence. I've always been wondering for a while that maybe in the middle of that needs to sit purpose and values. And you talked about your why, you know, when it was dark times, being clear about your why. Tell me a bit more about that why and you know, why do you think that's so important in, in developing that or giving people that mental toughness? Yeah, because you, often you'll set yourself a challenge or a goal and people often drop by the wayside, you know, it gets too tough and when we give up and I've seen that many times on the challenges, you know, by the end, middle of a challenge, people have, have, have stopped, they've gone. So remembering why you set out on that journey in the first place, isn't it? There was a reason you made that decision to start. Don't lose sight of that and it's quite easy, often easy to lose sight of that when things do get tough. My why is... Yeah, to challenge myself. Well, that, that goes without saying. But there's these children back at school expecting Sir to, you know, to, you know, they think I'm a superhero. Yeah, of course they do. You know what I mean? You know, Sir's invincible. I'm not. And one day I will break at some point to one of these challenges. But um, it won't be what I'm trying. But also the, cha- the, the charities we're raising money for, the people who, you know, who are, you know, struggling or are in need or are ill, then, you know, a little bit of pain in my legs, a little bit of pain in the toenails, I can, I can live with that. You know, it's about why am I doing what am I doing? Remember that. And it keeps you going, it keeps you motivated, like you say, in those dark moments when it's just you and your environment, there's nobody to speak to, it, it's dark times, and, and your mind can play mind games on you, so it's keeping that focus. And as I say, no matter what you do in life, isn't it, why did I go into teaching? Why, you know, why did I start what I was doing? Why did I, it's remembering, going right back to the beginning, why did I start this? And I think it just gives that added and reinforces the motivation. I'm intrigued to know your thoughts on this one. I was talking to uh, a lady called Penny Mallory the other day, who's another guest on the podcast. She was a former World Rally champion. And we were talking about how do you develop mental toughness? And her view was that do something that causes you some kind of physical discomfort. And when you start to do that on a regular basis, and there's a lot of other schools of thought that say, actually, you can develop your mental toughness by something like that. Do you subscribe to that? Do you feel that by pushing yourself physically a bit, it also helps you increase your, your mental toughness? I think it does. I think it does. I mean, going back to Kilimanjaro, I, I hadn't experienced anything like this before. I played rugby and so forth. That was different. And having done that, I then realised, yeah, I am capable of this. Am I capable of a little bit more? And and I think it's good in life to keep pushing the bounds a little bit. You, you, you know, we, we very quickly get into a comfort zone. But, you know, outside of your comfort zone is where the magic happens. And it's about just getting in there. But again, at your pace, not jumping in there. 
And I do believe, you know, the, the, the more you push yourself, you know, six marathons in five days with the Amazon jungle, it's bonkers, totally bonkers. So 12 years ago, I wouldn't have dreamt of doing that. But from what I had done up, you know, up to 2016, I thought, yeah, I can do this, Kate. So it is that self-belief and knowing that you can cope with discomfort, um, whether that's sleeping in a hammock, you know, absolutely exhausted with blisters and toenails, purple toenails and, and mosquitoes in there and bites and, you know, very uncomfortable. And when you do get back home, as it were, you look back and think, how on earth did I do that? How did I wade through a river in the middle of the night up to, up to my chin? How did I, you know, get up in the morning and go again and, and run a double marathon? But you're in that mindset. You're in that, I call it challenge mindset. I'm in the place, I'm, you know, where I need to be and I just click it into that mindset. And I'm very fortunate and able to do that. But I have another little, little say, you know, you know, pain is temporary, quitting lasts forever. You know, that pain, just go with it. You know, embrace it. Be, be one with that pain, you know, as it were. And, um, Push on. So, yeah, I do believe in that. I do believe that if you keep pushing, then that becomes your norm. That becomes your comfort zone. And then push again and keep pushing again. Uh, but at your pace, I don't think anyone can dictate that to you. It's got to be something that you are comfortable with. The pace of, of pushing has got to be something that you're comfortable with. So what do you see holds most people back? Self-doubt, I think. Self-doubt is, 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 and that self-worth. And, and, you know, sometimes other people's perceptions of them as well. I think that's a big thing. I see that with children, it's self-doubt, not thinking that they're good enough. And whether that's in you know, how they've been brought up, or children who are surrounded by by the knockers, the doubters in life, and I go back to that, you know, lacking aspirations. You know, children who lack aspirations at a young age, eight, nine, ten years old, which is such so sad. You know, and I want to get around more schools and 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 try and inspire these children to to, to dream big. So I do think it is self doubts. Uh, we're not good enough. We can't do it. That word can't. I ban that in my classroom. It's I can and I will. It's a swear word. That that mindset, just that positivity. I can, I will. So I would say what, what the most thing is that self-doubt, not thinking that people are good enough and, and, and low aspirations, low aspirations. So I think it's something that needs looking at, needs mending, as it were, within schools, that, that we're enabling these children, empowering these children to have these big dreams. These dreams are absolutely frightened to death, but excite them. And they're going out to life to, to, to chase these dreams that, you know, comes from that self-belief. So I would say it's about self-doubt, people believing it up here. Yeah, and I think you're right when you talk about you know, I read a great quote once, which is um, children are like wet cement. Whatever lands on them makes an impression. Mm, absolutely. I was really lucky. I grew up with two parents who were fantastic about, you know, my mum grew up from the back streets of Manchester and it was very much get out. If you don't like things, change it. If you can't change it, change your mindset to it. You know, and she achieved a lot in her life. And, um, but I still remember there's one comment she made to me. And it, was, it wasn't just to me. It was in the car. We were going somewhere with all, all five of us. But it, it, and it was a, perhaps a, a negative belief she had around a topic. And that stuck with me for many, many years. And I had ended up having to spend a lot of money on my own coaching and to disassemble some of that belief. So I think you're right. We, we need to be really mindful about what we're saying around children and what we're saying to ourselves. And like you said, who we're listening to. Because so often, I think so many people listen to other people and what other people's fears and things they put on you. And, and to not listen to that and, and forge our own path. Yeah, living up to other people's expectations rather than your own expectations, isn't it? And, and, and it's easy to say that because it comes with confidence, doesn't it? And sometimes experience, but it's about you being in charge of your life and being the best version of yourself you can be, isn't it? And having that self-belief. And if you want to do it, you go and do it. Uh, and not being afraid of failure. I think that's another thing, isn't it? People are afraid of setting themselves up to fail. But I'd rather have a go at something and fail than not ever try to, you know, at all in the first place. So it's about being able to accept, yeah, I give it my best shot. You didn't even want to go. You know, the, the, I call people the armchair, armchair critics. People sit on the backsides and just criticise the doers in life. Um, just ignore those people, isn't it? So it's about self-belief and, yeah, giving it your best shot. And if you fail, 
better to have tried and failed than never to have tried to sell. How important, I think we're touching on this, how important do you think self-awareness is then in people's ability to develop that resilience, that mental toughness? I think it's really important, but are some people not really aware of themselves? I don't think some people are fully aware of what they're capable of and how deep they can dig sometimes and what levels of resilience they've got because they're not often putting themselves out there. And again, you see that with young people. They don't have a high level of resilience. The first sign of a problem, often it's can't do it, give up. And I think it's important to teach that resilience to, to youngsters, to people, um, to stick out things. Stickability, like you say, isn't it? You know, if at first you'll see, try, try, try again. So it is that self-awareness. And I just think people getting a little rut of, I'm not that good. You know, for example, you talk about running. I can't run, I can't run, never will be able to run. Well, couch to five, 5K. Let's get out there and do it. You know, let's walk 5K, run 5K. If people give it a go and have that self-belief, they will see the results and keep pushing those boundaries, as you say, and, and who knows where it takes them. I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner at all. Um, as I say, it was only maybe 12 years ago I started doing a bit of running. And, you know, who does the first marathon at Mount Everest? Bonkers people, but it, it was it was that self-belief. And why not? Let's get out there and do one of the toughest marathons in the world. and Let's follow it up with the North Pole Marathon. Why not? It excited me. It was a big dream of mine. And it, it excited other people. And, and yeah, again, back of the pack. Doesn't matter. Get out there and doing it. So it is about self-awareness, but I think we, we need to maybe help people sometimes to be aware of what they are capable of and help them along the way there by, by, by like I said, developing that self-belief and that confidence. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in having cheerleaders. You know, people only need a cheerleader, don't they, back around them. And, and my, my cheerleaders, if you like, are the kids at school. You can do it, sir. As much as they probably don't even realise it, they're a massive inspiration to me. I think people do need cheerleaders, but positive ones who, you know, not the knockers, not those armchair critics. So what kind of things have you learned about yourself through all these challenges, Steve? Yeah, that I've got, you know, an ability to dig deep. Um, and, you know, when things get tough and there's been moments where you thought the easiest option here was to quit, that managed to keep going and, and knowing that I ever didn't and regret it for the rest of my life. So it's been able to put that left foot in front of the right foot one more time, that becomes another time, and that the smallest steps do take you to that final destination as it were there. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of that fact that, you know, I, I've been out there, you know, so it's finishing school on a Friday, two days later, find yourself in the Amazon jungle, sat in a hammock with a rip trainer and thinking, right, what do I do? It's a bit more difficult than marking a set of books, but it's been able to cope with that and deal with that and, and, and push on. And each year, setting bigger, tougher, harder challenges that, that push me again out of my comfort zone because, and yeah, like I said, I've always enjoyed challenges, but I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm able to do that and keep pushing that each year and not resting on my laurels, as it were, because I feel a bit of responsibility to the children as well and other people who are, you know, seeing what Sir can do. And like I said, going forwards rather than going backwards. Um, so, yeah, I am. When, when, when I think about it, because obviously when you read that list out at the beginning, I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, I don't think about what I've done that often. But when you're asked to think about it, you're thinking, wow, there's, there's a good list of things there that um, when I was at St Albans maybe in, in, you know, year seven, I'd never dreamt of doing all those things because... Oh, I wasn't maybe being encouraged to dream big. Uh, so it's coming, coming later in life. So what would the Steve Hill of 2021 tell the Steve Hill of 2008, the year before he did the, the marathon, the Everest marathon? I wouldn't have told him anything negative because like I said, I'm proud of the fact that I actually pressed that button to book that, that challenge, having never run a marathon before in my life. Uh, went on and enjoyed every minute, made some great friends and got to that start line. And it took me nine and a half hours, which was a PB for me to get to the finish line. And it was just an amazing life experience. Uh, the 20, like 21 Steve would just say, get it done. You don't know where it's going to lead, but it's going to lead you to so many other amazing, amazing adventures. Um, and not just adventures, but other experiences, you know, like 
I've said, you know, sat in St. James's Palace, being introduced as a guest presenter uh, to a room full of 150 Duke of Edinburgh Award goal winners and thinking, how the hell have you ended up here? Actually pinching yourself saying, what am I You feel the imposter and you think, these are amazing people who've achieved something fantastic, the gold Duke of Edinburgh Award, and I'm being introduced as their guest presenter. And you're thinking, poor things, they could have had any TV celebrity and they got a primary school teacher from, from Shaw. But um, I suppose, you know, doing these challenges, making these decisions to go and push the boundaries and get out there and hopefully use those challenges to inspire others led me to being in that position where I had the great honour of giving a talk to these amazing young people who are the future. You know, these are going to be the future adventurers and the future politician, the future, you know, leaders of industry and what have you. And then shaking the hands, congratulating them and giving awards out. That was amazing. And, and you know, I'm always very embarrassed about talking about the MBE because we never think we're deserving of anything like that, which was an, an absolute shock, a very surreal moment. But to be stood in front of the Queen, talking to the Queen, I'm actually making the Queen laugh. I made the Queen laugh as it happens. That's my claim to fame. Are you allowed to share what you did to make her laugh? Absolutely, yeah, it's nothing. Uh, I mean, that was, I mean, again, we never set out in life to do what we do to get awards at all. It's not what we do it for. Uh, and that was a, a group of parents at school who put me forward by all accounts. And it's a long process, I'm told, about 18-month process. Uh, but a letter fell on the doormat and it was from the, the cabinet office and you read it in disbelief and you think, no way. Anyway, transpires, yes, it was, wasn't a, you know, a hoax, wasn't a, a wind-up. Um, and yeah, in March uh, 2015, I found myself in Buckingham Palace receiving the MBA and you get your briefing and, and you know, your, your turn comes and you stand there looking and thinking that's the Queen and she's about five metres away from me and it's just bizarre, it's surreal. Um, and your moment comes, you stand in front of it and she engages you in conversation and you're thinking, what on earth am I going to say back? But as it happens, it was along the lines of, it was two weeks before I was going to the North Pole and it was, um, so you're a teacher and you, and you do a lot of challenges and raise money for charity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, yes, ma'am. And um, in, in two weeks' time, I'm off to the North Pole to run the North Pole Marathon. And she went, why? And I just said, because I think I'm a little bit bonkers, ma'am, to be honest. And she just laughed away and it's all caught on video, which was pretty special, pretty special. So, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in life is about experiences, isn't it? Whatever they may be, whether it is that, and just embrace it, get out there and do lots of different things in life. As I say, Mine is the challenges and the mountains and the deserts and the jungles, but whatever other people's are, isn't it? It's just getting out there and having the confidence to go out and do what makes you happy and just do it to the best of your ability, isn't it? It's, as I say, I just use the, the marathons as my tool to inspire others to, to follow their dreams, whatever it may be. Um, so, and it, and it does, the more you do in life, the richer life is, the more interesting you as a person, but it opens doors, doesn't it? To many other experiences and things that you never Never plan on. And that's the exciting thing, isn't it? You don't know where life takes you next. And speaking of not uh, knowing where life's going to teach you next, uh, take you next, you've got a book coming up as well, haven't you? I've been very privileged to have a bit of a sneak preview of early draft. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> I still can't believe that at all. I mean, there's a bit of a story behind that as well, uh, if I'm honest with you. Um, for a number of years, people have said, oh, you, you should write a book. You need to write a book about these challenges. Eh? And you nod and you smile and say, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. And you just think, never going to happen. I'm at the time, wouldn't want to start, et cetera, et cetera. Having done the the um, DAV Gold Awards at St. James's Palace, they, they asked for feedback uh, from the recipients. And, and they sent it to you. It's lovely, absolutely lovely. It's heartwarming. And one of the, 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 the recipients had written, loved hearing about Miss Dill's challenges, etc. So very inspiring. Um, I look forward to hearing the uh, reading the book one day. What's next, sir? And I thought, oh, I like that. If I ever do write a book, which I don't I doubt I will, I'm going to call it what, What's Next, sir? Um, and it was last year, to begin a lockdown, I was contacted by a gentleman I'd, I'd, I'd shared a stage with doing a talk up in Windermere. And he just said, you've got a great story to tell. Uh, I think you should write a book. Have you thought about writing a book? I said, well, I have any haven't. And I haven't at the time and I wouldn't know where to start. And it was the beginning of lockdown. 
And he said, well, I would, and I'd like to give you a hand doing it. How do you fancy that? And I thought, you know what? Nothing to lose. And we're still doing it at the moment. We're just at the final edits. And it's been a great journey. And it's brought back a lot of the memories from the challenges and a lot of the actual finer details that you often you often forget about. And yeah, we're, we're not far off. And it, and it still seems, as I said, it doesn't seem real. That's, you know, this story of these challenges and um, my purpose, if you like, the, you know, the reasoning to become, become a teacher, why I started the challenges from being a teacher, the key challenges, setting up the charity I set up last year. And I hope people enjoy it. I hope people enjoy it. As I say, you know, we sell 10 copies, we'll be lucky. I don't know, but it's just be, be nice to have it in, in, in writing. And Ronald Fiennes, so Ronald Fiennes has endorsed it, which is is great. Yeah, he's he's done a couple of challenges, hasn't he, from time to time, Ronald Fiennes. I mean, he was an inspiration to me growing up. He, he is, he's out there, isn't he? Absolutely on the cutting edge. He was pushing the boundaries, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, when you hear the stories of him, you know, chopping his, his, his frostbitten fingers off in his shed with his Black & Decker, it's, it's it's great and I just just think adventure pushing those boundaries and getting out there and pushing the limits is it's inspiring and as I say it was an inspiration to me and you know images of Everest and what have you and as I say get out there isn't it because it's a big world and go and explore it go and push the boundaries and you know whatever is that dream for you in life when do you think what's next sir is going to be out when can we hopefully the summer hopefully the summertime so as I say it's just getting a, a cover design sorted which is you know it's all those little things isn't it that are a difficult cover design um, and as I said just the final edit and then obviously get it to prints and we'll, we'll see what happens um, if nothing else it'll be a good reading school <laughs> storybooking school for the kids but uh, we shall see but thank you for, for mentioning that yeah thanks Anthony and uh, thanks for your, your positive feedback on it no problem not at all I'm looking forward to reading it perhaps we'll hopefully get you back on the podcast then you can I don't know read us an extract from it and tell us a few tall tales from, from the book a bit more. That'd be brilliant. I would love to. And uh, hopefully tell you about the, the next challenge, as I said, because there's no no plan on slowing down at all. As I say, it's, it's, it's all systems go. Well, that's great because you preempted me. I thought there's no way I can let you go without asking what's next, sir. What's next, sir, indeed. So hopefully um, it's the Great North Run. So it's uh, running from the north to the south of Iceland. I think it equates to 10 marathons in 10 days, uh, camping along the way. So I just thought, you know what? Like the sound of that, it's a distance I've not ran before, so the distance is, is as I say, increased. Uh, the terrain will be tricky, uh, not as tough as the Arctic and the jungle, but um, you know it just seems to get more and more difficult to find suitable challenges. Um, I have got my name down for the Lunar Marathon. So if a, a marathon ever takes place on the moon, my name's on the list for that one, so fingers crossed. And a lot of the kids at school want to join me on that one. But again, the, there's lots I want to do. Climbing Everest, yeah, absolutely, is a big dream of mine. Very expensive, um, and it's about an eight-week block so you know we'll see how we go with that but I'm always looking for for new challenges that, that push the boundaries and that will you know push me inspire others and and, and send me to a nice remote part of the world and maybe you know allow me to lose a few more toenails to to add to the ziplock bagging class absolutely well I know a guy who does take people up every so I'll have to introduce you on that'd be great uh, like I said one day we'll make it happen and just tell us briefly about your charity because you very you know just snuck that in there but you know very modestly with all these things going on, you managed to find time to do charity as well. I'm wondering what the hell I've been doing in my life, quite frankly. Yeah, like I said, the fundraising started in 2009 with Kilimanjaro, and it, and it was getting the children, let's raise money for, for Christie's. And every year, uh, it was important to me that the children nominated the charities that we raised money for. So I do, so I do new challenge, Miss Dale's challenges. Um, and my class of year sixes would nominate charities to support. So it'd be Dr. Kershaw's in Oldham, potentially. And you name it, we've raised money for these, you know, a number of charities, a large number of charities over the years. In the back of my mind, I always thought, I think I always knew that one day I'd like to set up my own charity to have a little bit of control over where that money went and to be able to nominate, you know, good causes, uh, etc. In 2018, uh, I went to Uganda 
for the first time, and that was to run the Uganda Marathon. Um, and it was to run the marathon, but it was a week of getting involved in projects beforehand. And I just thought, that sounds really exciting, really interesting. And I've always wanted to go and do some work in Africa, whether it was teach or, you know, the charity work. And this was a good, good taste. Um, so I went in 2018 and it was an amazing experience. It, it was, you know, upsetting in many ways. We'd go to orphanages, we'd spend time in the school and, you know, trying to make a difference and, and making a difference through sponsorship from, you know, the marathon runners. Um but meeting people, talking to people, and then running the marathon at the end of the week. And it got to the marathon, and I thought, the marathon is going to be a non-event now because this, this week's just been amazing. But the marathon was amazing as well. It wasn't a marathon like any other marathon. You're running through the villages, and there's, there's kids everywhere, the big smiles, laughing and giggling, high-fiving, thumbs up, and it's just an amazing, I don't know, exciting experience. It was fantastic. Anyway, I went back the following year as well and intend to go back every year. And it was in 2019 when I went and visited a very small school in Kalangala Island um, in Lake Victoria. And we supported this school, got on great with, the, with the, the doctor who set it up. And he was talking about wanting to build a dormitory. And he was telling about the story about you know, young girls on the way to school being attacked. And I just thought it was awful hearing, you hear some awful stories. Uh, and he wanted to build this dormitory that ultimately would, would, would sleep 50 girls and keep them safe and allow them to be, to be boarders and, and just stay on sites and, and be, as I said, safe. So I asked him, well, what would that cost? And it was about £6,000. And it's £6,000, a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money to build a dormitory that would keep 50 girls safe on, on, on site. And I came away thinking, I could support that. We could support that. I could get people involved and we could, we could help with that. And kept in touch with the, with the, with the head teacher, the other doctor, um, and came home and had a conversation with, with, with some good friends, um, Diane Haywood, Dave Haywood, uh, Brian and Laurie Hurst. And... They said, go for it, do it. What, 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 what are you waiting for? And, and it probably needed that because I knew, as I said, for the past five or six years, I wanted to set something up to be able to support individuals and causes. Um, and I thought, well, let's do it. Uh, it was 2019 and it was, what do we call it? And it went around the areas and said, well, it's got to be something associated with you, with your challenges, because you've been doing fundraising for 10 years. And I was constantly, it had to be about people being a team together. So we came up with Team Health, Charitable Trust. Uh, and it's just been amazing. And it's just far exceeded everything I could have imagined. So... We have a when we can. We have events, race nights, uh, posh dinners, quiz nights, um, afternoon teas. It brings people together, like-minded people who are really fully believing in the charity. So it raises money. We get donations. I do sponsored events still with my challenges, and it's about making a difference. That's our tagline: making a difference in Oldham, supporting individual people, uh, but in Uganda. So supporting projects in Uganda. So we've got the, the two, you know. Two sides to the charity. So we've, we've helped build that dormitory. We've built another classroom in, in, in Uganda. We've sent money over for PPE equipment and food during the lockdown. Um, we bought an oxygen concentrator for them for a clinic over there. And we're in regular contact. And it's just, it's just right. It just feels 100% right. Uh, and, you know, I want to take some of the children past pupils over to Uganda in the future and, and show them what a difference they can make over there. But we also support within all of them. So we support the food bank, um, Madlow, and individuals who, who might approach us. So we, we've supported uh, three young young children, uh, a two-year-old girl who's got spina bifida, needed a little buggy to get around the house, been refused in the NHS. So we, we've purchased the buggy for her. And then to get photographs from her mum with, with herself around, 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 around the front room, it's like, it's just, wow. It's just what life's about. You know, if we can make a bit of a difference. And then a, a little boy who needed a walker to, to give him some, some, some ability, couldn't get it on the NHS. So we funded that as well. And, and a little girl who's got cerebral palsy, so to help her, and so we furnished a gym for her in the back garden. And they just think, if we can help individual people just to make a little bit of a difference to their lives, um, bring people together who are, you know, 
helping to support and be part of that team, Bill, it's amazing. So it's exceeded everything we could have imagined and it's just going from strength to strength. We've got kids at school wearing team mill hoodies. We've got team mill stickers and caps and you name it. And it's just, it's a force for good. And it's just getting, you know, bigger and bigger. And it's just great. It just brings the best out in people. And as you can see, I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of everyone who's involved with it because it's just a, a huge team of brilliant people making a difference uh, in the world. And um, it's just come from that idea, like I said, a couple of years ago. And it's just, it's great. You know, during lockdown, we, we thought, you know, what do we do during lockdown? We, we step up to the plate. You know, we can't have fundraising events. So we, we did shops for the vulnerable and the elderly. So I think we've, we've done almost 2,000 shops for, for those who couldn't get out. We've done comfort packs for the hospital, for the COVID wards. We support the, the, the children's ward at the hospital. We, we The neonatal units, you know, you name it. If it's going to make a difference, we'll, we'll get involved and help and support. So, yeah, it's it's full-time, as it were, with a full-time teaching job, but it's pretty great. And as I say, it's... it's it's what it's about. You know, I hope to look back when I'm old and just think, yeah, we can inspire a few other people to, to help others and to, to get out and follow their own dreams. Job done. So I'm going to, I'd love to put some um, contact details for your charity in the show notes. I'll do that. Um, is there ability if people wanted to, to donate to that somehow? Or There is, and it's not why, but what I'm only for, like I said, donations are great, as I said, but it's just people just follow us. Uh, but there is, there's a Just Giving page, Facebook page, an Instagram page, Team Hill Charitable Trust. Team Hill Charitable Trust. So people look it up on just giving or Facebook or whatever, should be able to find it. Yeah. I'll put yeah. details in the show notes. Um, and people, if they want to, can you know go and drop a few pennies in, hopefully, and help you fantastic. continue this amazing work. Steve, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. I am feeling super inspired. I'm about to go and dig out my trainers and go for a good <laughs> run. Um, you've really, you've really inspired me. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt you're going to have that effect on anyone who listens to this podcast as well. So I just want to say thank you so much for giving up your time. I don't know where you find the time. You must have a secret 30 hours in the day that we don't know about. Um, but no, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. And wish you all the very best with the uh, the great Norse run in Iceland. Thank you, Anton. I've really enjoyed talking to you tonight. Thanks very much. It's been, been great to be invited on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. It only takes a moment, but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach. You know, our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness so that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it'd be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Walther, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music.